my father said, I don't care what everybody else does. I care about you. So I tell people, I don't care what the Democrats do. I care how the Republicans are acting. And they're acting like a bunch of jerks that I don't want to be around. (laughs) I want a more civil discourse. I want a respectful dialogue. I can say I disagree you know, with it, I want to know who's coming into the country. I'm concerned about what's happening at the border, but I can have humanity for a mom who's pushed her kid across a continent in a stroller. I can hold those two ideas in my head at the same time. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. Today with me, I have Jennifer Sarver. Jennifer has nearly two decades of experience in media relations, crisis communication, speech writing, coalition building, and media and presentation skills. Her career has spanned the corporate, nonprofit, and political worlds. Jennifer is the founder of Sarver Strategies, and she focused her skills on training and storytelling, helping clients develop a narrative that effectively conveys their core values and then preparing them to effectively deliver that message. This definitely works well with the messaging and hopes of political Contessa here in trying to allow you to develop your own narrative around political policy and concepts and effectively convey your message to your friends that may see the political world in a completely different way. So Jen teaches a course on public speaking, advocacy, communication, speech writing, storytelling, and confidence in communications. She has been a lecturer at UT Austin, Texas Women's University, Concordia, American, and UT Dallas, among other institutions. She's also taught at the Yale Women's Campaign School, and she's also on the advisory committee of the LBJ Campaign School. So with that, I would like to welcome my friend, Jen Sarver. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thanks for that lovely introduction. It's always uh, ridiculous to hear all those things out loud. (laughs) I realized that uh, you said nearly two decades now. I'm like, wait, it's more like 25 years. I got to update that bio. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's every time I talk about how long I've been in politics, And I started when I was 19. I'm like, I don't even want to say how long it's been anymore, because after 20 years, you're like, all right, now I'm (laughs) now I'm aging myself unless I started when I was 10. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, now I, you know, for my whole career has involved politics and public policy and communication, kind of the two loves that I have. And really, I love the idea of helping your listeners better tell their narrative and be able to articulate their perspective 
and their viewpoints and also be able to ask really good questions. I've been on this quest to get people to think about being better listeners and asking better questions that we can engage in really thoughtful dialogue, which I know is something that's important to you. I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have is people can't articulate their position and they're not willing to listen to other people. And if we could take a step back and engage in thoughtful conversations, you might just learn something and you might be able to change your perspective or strengthen your beliefs because now you have a different kind of layer around what it is that you do believe. It's so true. I, that's a lot of the conversation I have with just my girlfriends is, you know, the things that fire us up, the things you see on TV, the little news clips that you get on TV, right? Those sound bites, they sound wonderful for TV, but in reality, you cannot go out and explode at someone the way that people, you know, whether it's the political analyst or the talk show host does, you can't do to the your friend you're walking your dogs with or the other parents on the soccer field, right? Like you you can't say that to your colleagues. Otherwise, it's completely offensive. Now, like for you, you've been working in government and you know in the private and public sector for years in the United States Senate and the Bush administration, your role with uh women's public leadership network. You are you know, what I consider a well-seasoned veteran in this world, right? And we learn, and you live in Austin, and and like me, you live in a very blue area. And so you have to learn how to get along with everyone and to be able to convey your message. So, you know, I have so many questions for you today, Jen. My first is, why is it important for women to be talking about politics and policy today, because I feel like still a lot of women, and I'm sure you see this, don't want to talk about politics still, right? It's kind of like a third (laughs) rail issue. Where where are the outliers? (laughs) And I try, you know, my friends have, we have a great text message of 10 of us and we all agree on everything, but I don't think anyone really goes and tells anyone else their views. And I'll have friends call me and say, oh my God, I just want to discuss this with you because I know you understand. And if I say, this just happened last week, one of my dear friends said, you know, I just needed to vent to you about this issue and I can't understand and why is this going on? And I said, see, this is why you need to talk to your other friends. Like her neighbor is super liberal and a good friend of ours. And I'm like, that's why she needs to hear this. And it's like, yeah, but I can't tell anyone else. So (laughs) we have to start from the ground floor. We can't just get women to run for office. Like we need them talking about this stuff. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, you and I are both involved in encouraging women to seek public office. I think one of the people say, why, why is that important? I think, well, because it's we're right now, government is not reflective of the people because we do not have in any sector, I was looking at the latest numbers of the Center for Women, uh, for American Women in Politics, in almost every sector. So the U.S. Legisl- you know, le- legislatures across this country, in the U.S. House, governor seats everywhere. We're about 28 to 30%, which is a huge leap. It used to be far less, but we're about half the population. So we're still lagging far behind in male counterparts. And I think until we have kind of a, a government that reflects more accurately the people of the society, we're not going to get the kind of policy and conversations that we really want. But to your point, women aren't just going to wake up one day and say, well, let's run for office. You just start having those political conversations. And I think what's interesting is people have 
policy conversations all the time. They just wouldn't necessarily frame them in that way. Uh, you know, my old boss, Karen Hughes, would talk about um, sideline issues. What are moms and dads talking about on the, the sidelines of a soccer game on a Saturday morning? You know, they're talking about taxes. They're talking about healthcare. They're talking about their schools. They're talking about teachers. And all of those things are have roots in policy. I love when people say, well, I'm not interested in politics. Like, I don't care if you're interested in politics. Politics is interested in you and impacts your daily life. When you click your seatbelt, when you drive a certain speed limit, when you drink a beverage that has a certain alcoholic content, every single element of your day has public policy input into it. And so you either can ignore it and let other people make those choices for you, or you can get involved at your local level, at the state level, at the federal level, and be a part of those conversations and influencing those conversations. And I think, you know, there's so many different examples throughout history of, of, you know, moms in particular standing up uh, for something because of their children and, you know, get those that fierce mama bear out there who wants to change something for her child can be so powerful. And so to see so many women kind of step up and say, I'm going to take this to the next level and want to run for office is really powerful. But I love this idea of you got to start with the conversation and have conversations with people you disagree with. I think it's real easy to get stuck in your bubble and get a lot of nodding heads and you forget the diversity of opinions out there. And that's one of the things I think is so dangerous about the television news in particular, which is designed to incite you one way or another. I kind of refuse to watch television news because I don't want those sound bites. I actually want more thoughtful conversations. I try to read more and listen to more podcasts because that long form gives me an opportunity to really dive in a little deeper. Right. That is so, so, so true. I, so I, I have a, a friend who runs an organization up here and they, they really focus on diversity of thought, right? And it's about kids and education and, and private schools and kind of what's being forced on kids today in these schools. And all they're calling for is a diversity of thought, is to have both sides of the discussion. And I feel like when we were young and we were in high school and we were taking American government, you heard both sides of discussions and conversations. And I feel like that's all been lost. And it's more of, you know, people being disrespectful and inconsiderate of other folks' opinions, regardless of where you are. So whether you're, you know, pick an issue, right? It's like, I always throw out abortion, you're for or against. And I'm like, well, you know, there's always the gray area, right? It's like, maybe it's not all one way and maybe it's all not the other way. Maybe it's in the middle. It's the, you know, transgender stuff. It's Title 42 coming to an end and, you know, migrants coming over the border. Everything has has some middle ground. And instead of us finding middle ground and saying, I respect your opinion. And you know what? Maybe maybe you could change my thought process a little bit by telling me what you see. But as soon as you ram your views down someone's throat, right? They back, everyone gets their back up against a corner and says, I don't want to hear it now. Yeah, it's, it's so difficult. And I think on one hand, I appreciate diverse perspectives and that including the political diversity, racial diversity, uh, geographic diversity. I mean, the difference between Texas and Massachusetts are pretty big, right? <laughs> so our life's experiences are different. Our lived experiences are very different. 
And so I will never know what it's like to be a black woman. I will never know what it's like to have been born in another country. I will never know what it, what it's like. You know, there's so many different things I could say like that. And so I need to stop and say, I, I don't know what that, what it's like to walk in that person's shoes. I can make some assumptions. I can read some data. I can get some, try to understand, but the best thing I can do is talk to them and listen to them. That doesn't mean it has to change my views. And I think that's one thing that I've come to see because I did go to a big, a big state school that has a pretty liberal reputation. Um, a moved to Washington, D.C. and lived there for eight years, I always try to understand why do I have such different viewpoints than a lot of people in my family, as an example. And I think it's because I have had the privilege of being around a lot of diverse perspectives. And I think that deepens my thought and also makes me a little welcome to more ideas. Because if you only ever hear one perspective on one side of an issue, it becomes very hard um, to understand others' perspectives, but that doesn't mean I have to change my viewpoint. And you raise abortion, which I, you know, is such is such a third rail. So hard to have any thoughtful conversations. But I say, listen, I'm pro life. I, I believe God is the author and finisher of our life, and I want every child to have an opportunity. I also think we should have comprehensive sex education and we should make contraception available to people. We can't stick our heads in the sand and say, let's not teach kids about their bodies or how to prevent sex and then get surprised when they get pregnant. And so in Texas, we don't have, we're, nobody would even have those conversations. And we teach abstinence only for the most part in high schools. And it's, it's ludicrous. It doesn't work. And the results are damning. We have you know, younger generations that don't even know how their bodies work and it's embarrassing. And so I think that there's got to be able to have thoughtful conversations without saying, well, you're on this side and I'm on that side. So we can't talk about things. Well, let's find the areas of alignment. We can we can set aside the things we know we're not going to agree on, but let's tiptoe towards the center and say, what are areas we can have a thoughtful conversation about? And tell me why you have that opinion or why you have that perspective. Another question I ask, I always ask people is, where did you get that information? Because I do think that the lack of good sources and fact-based sources and people are not understanding the difference between opinion and news. Um, and news bias is a whole different other story, but I like to know where are people getting information because that can help me understand a little bit more about their perspectives as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm dying laughing as you're saying that because, and mom, I'm sorry that I, I bring you up in my podcast, but I am. Um, my mom listens to every single one of my podcasts and she then sends it to her friends. And so I'm going to say this, and I this is kind of one of my jokes that I tell people when I'm doing panels, I talk about my mother and this one incident. So in 2016, on election morning, I'm in uh, the NBC studios here in Boston. Early in the morning, I was there. I was up late, late, late at night on set doing analysis from the election. I had to be there early in the morning to do the postmortem. And so here I am. I'm like trying to hold my eyeballs open at five o'clock in the morning I'm sitting in a studio that has TVs all over the place. I am very well connected into what is going on in the news at this point because I've not slept in like 32 hours. And so my mom around seven o'clock in the morning texts me and she says, oh, my God, did you hear that Anthony Weiner killed his wife, Uma, and then turned around and killed himself? <laughs> I'm like, where'd you see that? She's like, on the news. I'm like, I'm literally sitting in a news station. <laughs> it's yeah, not possible. She's like, I saw it on the news. I'm like, what news? It took me like six text messages for her to finally tell me she got it off of Facebook. <laughs> and so I'm consistently saying to people, 
Where'd you find that information? Can you send me your source? Because I really like if it was a Politico or the Washington Times or Post or Wall Street Journal, fine. But like, where'd you get it from? <laughs> yeah, and I could probably go to, to Huma Abedin's Twitter and see where she's tweeting like, I'm alive. Don't worry. <laughs> right. yeah, so I go do a couple of checks. I had this conversation recently with my 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 stepmother. Uh, she was telling she was saying something about, you know, I'm from South Texas, uh, 15 miles from the Mexican border. So the conversation around migrants at the border is very real. I was there three weeks ago, went across the border for lunch with family members. We go back and forth all the time. So being raised on the border, I have a very different perspective on many of those things and, and a lived experience that's different. But she was talking about being concerned about going home this weekend because of Title 42 ending. And I said, it's not going to impact your life at all. You're not going to, to Mexico. I said, I said, turn off the news. <laughs> and she said, well, my the news, and I won't name the channel, but the na- news channel I watch is the only one covering this issue. And so I went and did a quick search. Migrants at the border, CNN. Migrants at the border, NBC. Migrants at the border, the New York Times. Every single news outlet has been covering this. Now, there's certainly different perspectives on it, but everyone is covering this issue right now. And it's not being undercovered, but there's great marketing when you watch a channel that says you will not get this news anywhere else. Channel says that because they're trying to get your eyeballs and your ears so their advertisers can sell things to you. And so this is one of the reasons that I don't watch it. And I always tell people, they say, well, nobody's covering this. And I'll just go sit and go do a little bit of research before I say nobody or everybody. I want to go and say like, where, where is this information coming from? And I think that honestly is one of the challenges in civic engagement and civil dialogue right now is getting people to back away from there. I know this is the truth because my news outlet said it. It's like, look at a few different sources. And I try to look at a few different sources on every big issue and read different perspectives because the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? I, I happen to listen to the New York Times daily podcast every day. Do I think it has a progressive bias? Absolutely. But they also have reporters around the world that many, many outlets do not have. And I want to know what's going on around the world, not just in my own backyard. I think that the U.S. bias in our news is one of the biggest things that people who don't travel don't see. Um, but everywhere around the world, there are things going on that are really important. And I want—I consider myself a global citizen. Like I really want to know what's going on around the world and be thoughtful about those issues. And if you only get so insular in your little community or your state and your issues, you're missing out on so much. So, I mean, we have this conversation, right? And it, I look at it and say, okay, we're two women who understand politics, understand policy, have worked in government, have worked in the private sector, and have lots of friends in this space. So how do we get women to take our advice, right? And the, you know, the percentages, the 20 to 30% of women in state legislatures, even in my crazy blue, blue state. And when I say this to people, I mean, this is remarkable because you live in Texas. So, you know, this is going to be horrifying to you. Massachusetts, in our legislature, there are 200 members of the legislature. 25 of them are Republicans. Out of the 25, we have three women. So that's out of the state Senate and the state House of Representatives, 200 members, 25 Republicans. There are three women that are Republicans that are elected to office. That is terrible. And so going back to what we were saying about kind of negotiation and collaboration and and consensus building and listening to diversity of thought and, and you know, other pr- people's perspectives. How do we engage those women and say, okay, it's time to 
put your money where your mouth is. You know, it's great that you're, and you know, again, all of those issues that you were talking about that are the sideline issues, right? The fiscal issues, the putting food on the table, putting gas in your car just to get to soccer, the cost of of oranges for the sidelines or snacks, right? For the trip, you know, you could just base it around like something simple as taking your kid to a game. How do we engage those women and say, and get them to understand, even though they need to be pounded into the head 10 times, nine times about, you know, you should run for office and you're so good about this and and saying, you know, I'm asking you to run. How do, how do we actually get them to get off of the sidelines, right? And start actually yeah. feeling comfortable about having these conversations in public that, you know, they're not going to be attacked, that they're not going to be canceled and that they actually can get elected at the same rates as men to boost those numbers in our legislatures? Yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a good question. I think, you know, the statistic is something like women have to be asked seven times to run for office. So yes, every time I'm in front of a crowd of women, I say, I am asking you to run for office so we can kind of get, get a couple of those under their belt. You know, I do think that one of the things that we're doing, and you mentioned the Women's Public Leadership Network, which is a national organization um, whose board I recently stepped down as chair, but I'm still on the board. And you've been involved in your organization as part of our network. You know, we are looking at, listen, we want to create opportunities for women to interact, engage, learn, train, get, get skilled up, be invited into the conversation on a state-by-state basis. So we have this network of organizations in, in states across the country of women that are interested in running for office or interested in learning more about running a for office, but just don't know where to start. And so I always tell people, first go to our website because we make a ton of resources available for free um, for people that are interested in running for office, including like, how do you give a speech? How do you raise money? How do you build a campaign? So those are a lot of the starting points. People don't know how those things happen. And then you can become a part of an organization like all the ones we have around the country that do training. So so the LBJ Women's Campaign School is another is, is part of our network. And I'm on the advisory council. We just kicked off our fourth cohort of women this last week here in Austin. And um, there's about 60 women who have decided um, that they want to run for office or they want to be a campaign manager. And they're from, in, from the ages of, of their 20s up to their 60s, which is really awesome. I think that intergenerational experience is really valuable. And in this case, this training is, is Republicans and Democrats and members of the forward party. Um, so we have a diversity of perspectives and they get to work alongside each other learning how do you pick a vote goal? How do you hire a campaign consultant? How do you speak to the media? Like very practical skills-based trainings because we want them to feel empowered, like they can they can do the job. I always tell people, you also have to just start volunteering, right? That to me, almost everybody's story in politics begins as a volunteer. I went to a Republican, um, young Republicans meeting at, and when I was in college as a sophomore and a woman was running for Congress and she said, I'm looking for people to volunteer in my campaign. Like, That's amazing. I was so excited to see this woman. So I went and started volunteering on her campaign and eventually got hired on her campaign and got hired on another campaign after that. And so that's where you've got to show up and say, I want to volunteer. I want to help, you know, stuff envelopes, walk blocks, make phone calls. And that's where you can start to kind of get your, your kind of get your feet wet and like really understand what it is that goes into a campaign. And I think when you're when you're a, a woman who's a businesswoman, you you've been involved in your community, 
you you step up and you make yourself visible. And that way when people see there's an opportunity opening up, like, hey, there's a seat on city council or there's a seat on this mayor's commission. Um, appointed office, frankly, is one of a great way for women to get involved. Because there's so many appointments at the city level, at the state level that, that need to be made. And so if you are putting yourself out there and saying, I want to serve, I want to serve. I don't know what that looks like. Um, but I want to be available. And that's always been my heart is like, listen, I want to be a public servant. I'm not interested in politics. I'm not interested in power. I'm interested in public service. And so I want to make myself available for those opportunities when they arise. Right now, I find them in these spaces where I'm getting to help train and recruit other women to run for office. And I ran for, for office myself in 2018. And maybe I will again in the future, but it comes from a place of public service. And I do think to me, that's one of the challenges we have right now in our political sphere is that so many people are interested in the politics and the power. They're not actually public servants. We have a lot of celebrity politicians and not a lot of public servants. So I think, you know, for women that have a heart for service, have a heart for their communities that want to improve something, it usually starts with an issue. You have, you know, there's an issue of homelessness. There's an issue of, you know, of, of, of schools that are lacking in resources. Whatever the issue is that drives you getting involved where you can make a difference and impact people's lives is usually what people start out as. So I want people to take advantage of all the resources that are available to help train them to run in campaigns, but figure out what's your why. Why, why do you, why are you involved? What, what drives you? What do you care about? And all of us have something we care about and can get involved in. Absolutely. I, I usually try to help women run at the most basic levels and and just tell them, you know, get involved on your school board or your town's commission or the water board or, you know, whatever it is locally, right? We've got these, this kind of antiquated system of town meeting, but you're elected on to town meeting. And I have a friend who's elected and I have a couple of girlfriends that are elected on their town meeting boards. And I have said to them, you know, you're an elected official. And it's like, they can't understand that they're actually elected. I'm like, but you're on the ballot. Like <laughs> you are actually elected. And so you've taken the first step. And I, like you, when I was 19, I was basically minding my own business at my summer job in my town recreation department. And a guy came in and said, oh, I've got to go get signatures tonight. And it's so hot and it's July. I'm like, signatures? What are you getting signatures for? And 32 seconds later, I find myself on the phone with the coordinator of the nomination papers. And I was out getting signatures for all of our state and local officials. And that's how I got into it and then ended up getting a job with my state senator after college. And so that was my entree into it. And when I ran for city council, it was, you're talking about issues. Like, I feel like you, I'm the same way. For me, it's public service. I've always, anytime I worked in government, anytime I've, I've helped a candidate, it's because I really truly believe that they are not in it for the power and the prestige. They are in it because they want to make a difference. When I ran for city council, my three big issues were the homeless people going through our trash because I lived right near the Charles River. So if they went through the trash and the trash went all over the place, it actually went into the river, which to me environmentally is an issue, also brought out more rats. And so we had a gigantic rat issue and this issue of the litter. We had Ubers and bicycles that would just blow through lights, blow through crosswalks in the middle of the city. Like you'd watch, you know, old people running out of the way, moms with strollers, like those issues. And the last one was in Boston, the bricks on the, on the sidewalks 
were all picked up. And so the tree roots pick up the bricks. And so again, if you're elderly or you have a kid, for me, it was my daughter riding her scooter. Like I was just waiting for her to knock out her front teeth. And so those were the issues. And I had people say to me, why aren't you running for Congress? I'm like, because I'm not doing this because I want to be a celebrity. I'm doing this because I want to fix these issues in the neighborhood. And by the way, even if I don't win, there are just more people now that hear about these issues and maybe they actually get fixed eventually. Right. And it's like those those are reasons to run for office. Like the things that wake you up in the morning and you say, oh, my God, why isn't anyone fixing this and dealing with this situation? So, all right. WPLM, Women's Public Leadership Network amazing organization. I call it like the mothership to Pocketbook Project and to those of us around the country, because you guys have so many resources. And one of the things I failed to mention, and you did, is that you ran for Congress. What is the importance of having women run for office, even if you're not successful the first time? And and a lot of times we're not successful the first time. That's whether you're a female or male. But if you run again, your chances increase the second time around. But why is it important? And what did you learn from running that you maybe didn't know before you were a candidate? Yeah, there's so many lessons learned. You know, when I decided to jump into the arena, I had talked for years and said, listen, if the opportunity arises, I'd love to run for office. Like I said, I'd be interested in, in public service opportunities. So my member of Congress, who had been in for 20 plus years, announced that he was retiring. And he announced it about a month before the filing deadline. And so it was a very short window. And I got calls right away from people, including somebody in the media that said, are you going to consider running for the seat? And I had to decide right away, do I even want to be into that in the conversation right now? And I, and I decided yes, because I wanted to put that trial balloon up there, see what people would say. And so I was in the first stories out saying, yes, you know, Jennifer Starver is one of the names under consideration. And so for me, it was such an interesting opportunity as somebody who had been involved in campaigns, run campaigns, worked on Capitol Hill, you know, worked in a presidential administration. I felt like I knew a lot. I was very well informed going in, but there's still so many things that you don't know about. And, and it's almost impossible to teach them all. You really have to learn once you get in. And, and I think for me, the biggest takeaway was just the amazing community that I have and how I had people from every aspect of my life, literally kindergarten, high school, every job that I've ever had, step up and, and donate to me financially, ask how they can get involved, support me by sharing social media. And that in and of itself was such a rewarding experience. I do think the other thing that was funny is the people that don't get involved, that you kind of expected to. And, and I, that's why you have to have thick skin and you can't take things personally because there were people that I assumed would be right by my side and knocking on doors and getting involved. And they're kind of like, hey, I know you're real busy. I'll get back in touch with you after the campaign. And so, you know, that was really interesting to me. I think it's valuable to be in the arena, whether you win or not, because you can serve as an example. So in my race, there were 18 people in the primary, one of the biggest congressional primaries in the country. There were three women and I was the youngest of the three women. And so when I went to an event, went to you know hundreds of these meet and greets and the Republican Women's Club luncheons, and and often people would shake my hand and ask me what candidate I was with, assuming I was a candidate spouse. 
And that wasn't because they were, you know, they were misogynistic. They just hadn't seen a younger woman running before. They hadn't seen many women running at all. You know, I always tell people in Texas, we have something called the Texas Federation of Republican Women, truly the backbone of the Republican Party, the ladies that run everything and volunteer and do all the background work, but they're not involved in getting women on the ballot. So they're like behind the scenes. And so, so many of our candidates, so many of our politicians, all of our leading state officials that are men have been elected because of the support of women. They're just not used to seeing women on the ballot. So even if I could change people's minds and perspectives on who can and should be on the ballot because I ran, that was a good thing. I also was much, much more centrist candidate. I'm a very center-right Republican. And I think it's important to elect people that tell us they're going to work with the other side. Right now, we constantly elect people who yell and scream and call the other side the enemy. And then we get shocked when nothing happens. We reach a stalemate in Washington. We're like, we literally elected people who said they would not work with the other side. But guess what? Politics is about compromise. And so I have to be able to work with the other side. And so... That was another uh, aspect where people would say to me, that's really interesting that you raised that. That's really important. And so when people would come up to me after events, younger people, they'd say, thank you for running. Thank you for being on that stage. Because, you know, there's that saying, you can't be what you cannot see. I do think it's really valuable to see somebody up there who looks like you, right? That you could see yourself doing that in the future. And so even if I knew I had an incredibly tough uphill climb, a very narrow pathway to victory, I thought it was important that my voice was in the conversation as somebody who wanted more civility, particularly in my party. Listen, so sick of people saying, what about the other side? I'm like, when I was raised, my father said, I don't care what everybody else does. I care about you. So I tell people, I don't care what the Democrats do. I care how the Republicans are acting. And they're acting like a bunch of jerks that I don't want to be around. <laughs> I want a more civil discourse. I want a respectful dialogue. I can say I disagree you know, with the, I want to know who's coming into the country. I'm concerned about what's happening at the border, but I can have humanity for a mom who's pushed her kid across a continent in a stroller. I can hold those two ideas in my head at the same time. And so to be able to have those conversations and to be on that platform was incredibly important. And so I do think there needs to be a conversation about what happens when you lose, because I don't think we want to talk about that often enough. I think you and I are examples of people who have had more opportunities because we ran and lost. Now, if we had won, it would have been a different story. But if we had never won, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. And so I, I saw a woman last week who was a graduate of our LBJ Women's Campaign School. And she was still mourning her loss and talking about how she had ran for city council here in Austin, had gotten to the runoff and then lost in the runoff. And it was really hard. And she had tears in her eyes talking about it. But she also talked about how much she still cared for public service. And she's serving on a, a commission here in Austin and will probably jump back in a race again someday soon. And so if women run a big percentage will lose, right? I mean, 18 people in a primary, only one was going to go forward, right? So a lot of us were going to lose. And it's okay, because that shows that you're willing to step up. It's going to create other opportunities for you in the future. You'll always have ha have that on your resume. I'm always going to have been a candidate for Congress, which gives me the opportunity to have conversations I maybe wouldn't have. And if I can change the dialogue by being on the stage, then I want to be there. I love that. I love that. I think it's so important what you said and just the voice issue, right? The perspective that you just had about the migrants coming across the border, right? And being understanding of a mom pushing a stroller 
you know, and also understanding the need for a secure border and, and to manage the crisis going on you hear a lot of one or the other. You don't hear the middle. And that's what I think that women change the conversation about, right? We're we're able to to see different sides of the story and to understand the compassionate end as well as understand, you know, on our end, the fiscal impacts of decisions that are being made or not being made and how that impacts everyone else or the public health emergencies or the public safety emergencies that result as, a, you know, something not being taken care of. In what you were saying about better contraception and better education for kids in schools. You know, it's like to close your eyes and think that no one's ever going to do anything as as a child, right? Or as a teenager is is ridiculous. I mean, we were all kids and and every elected official was a kid and everyone has screwed up and everyone has done something that they say, "Oh my god, I hope that my kid doesn't do that." But they're all it's been going on for ages and eons and eons and it will continue. And I think one thing I just, let me just interject this thought too, is that so many leaders, I hear them say off the record, you know, I don't really agree with this kind of extreme view, but this is what I have to say to get elected. We mm. hear that all mm-hmm. the time. And first of all, the the dishonesty and the lack of transparency is disgusting. Mm-hmm. But also that tells me we need more people showing up at the polls in, in Texas. I don't know if your system is the same, but in our primary, the primary is where all the decisions are made. And so, so we have 16, 17 million registered voters in Texas, 3 million showed up in the primary last year. And by and large, because almost every seat is safe, the decisions made in the primary are really what's deciding who's going to be elected. Now, when you go in November, you get a few choices and maybe you can make a difference. But by and large, your greatest impact is in the primary. And so if only the people with the most extreme viewpoints on either side of the aisle are showing up in the primaries, then the the political leaders feel they have to play to those extremes. And whether they believe it or not, Ultimately, the policy ends up following those extremes because that's who got them into office and they need to get back into office so they continue to play to those extremes. And over time, their viewpoints become more extreme. And so what I try to remind people is March matters. Our primaries matter. Being involved at the earliest level, at the local level, you know, people sometimes show up just for the presidential, like to your point, the city council is where really important decisions are being made that impact your life on a daily basis. So get involved more locally than you are federally. Because I think, you know, I always want to tell people to turn off the TV and tune into your local community, right? What's happening at a national level will get you riled up, but you likely have very little impact on that. But you can impact what's happening in your local community on a daily basis. And if more of us were tuned into where are the social services that I can I can support and get involved in? Austin's been having a crisis of homelessness, like many cities across the country. And instead of just being frustrated and angry and you know yelling at the city council that we think caused some of these problems, I decided to join the board of the Salvation Army of Austin because I want to be involved in the solution. So now I have a better perspective of what the issues are. I'm actively doing something to contribute to addressing this issue. And I can inform other people about it because I now have more insight. So instead of sitting at home, you know, throwing things at the TV, I'm out there doing something about it. And I do think that, you know, so many people spend time watching TV and sitting on their social media and I'm like, turn it off get into your community and see how you can get involved. There are a million ways that you can volunteer 
and support not necessarily even candidates or political parties, but nonprofits. And you might find your passion and your why in that process. And that might ultimately lead you to run for office. But if you're sitting at home as an armchair warrior, you're not contributing, right? You're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And I think if we could get more people to be part of the solution, then we would have a more effective society and a more civil dialogue. Oh my God. I love that. I say that all the time. You're either part of the problem or part of the solution, right? The more you sit around and you just let things happen around you, you're part of the problem and you're not doing anything about it. I'll tell you. So you were talking about the percentage, right? Three million people came out in the primary. So interesting statistics here. Boston mayor's race in the preliminary, we had 22% of the electorate come out and vote. Now, it's nonpartisan. Local elections mostly are nonpartisan races. So it's nonpartisan. So regardless of your political persuasion, you could go vote. The election was decided at the primary. Everyone knew that the current mayor, uh, Michelle Wu, was going to win at that point. And unfortunately for her opponent, who is a great lady, you know, fabulous candidate, they were both on the Boston City Council, so they both rose up. The election was decided at the preliminary. By the time election day came up, it was like 27% of the electorate came to vote. So what do you do with those numbers, right? I mean, they're atrocious numbers. Another thing that's interesting is that Same in our gubernatorial race just recently. The Republican primary was decided by about 27% of the electorate. And then we got this Looney Tune who ran instead of the normal guy who could have made a good showing and ran against a uncontested Democrat. So there was she never had. So our current governor never had to have any single conversation because only 27% showed up at the primary. And then if you look at local races and what the impact and how important they are, like I said, our current mayor was a member of the Boston City Council. She's now the mayor of you know the fifth biggest city in the country. If you look at um, Ayanna Presley, Ayanna Presley was on the Boston City Council. She's currently a member of Congress. So if you don't think that your local races are important, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. If you look at Chicago and see Lori Lightfoot and think of how important that mayor's office was, right, in in looking at the crime, the out of control um, homelessness and crime and everything else that's going on over there, local races actually matter. And so for me, that is the most important part. It is where you build your bench. It's where you hone your skills. It's where you get your information. It's the stuff that actually affects you every single day because you walk out your door and it's like the sewage system, right? If it's backed up, who's in charge of that, right? And that those are the people that you need to know and you need to be paying attention to. All right. So because I'm always targeting my listener who, you know, is, I always think, you know, maybe a political novice, you know, maybe just a friend of mine, a friend of yours, who's now going to listen to the podcast, you know, one of our sister organizations around the country. What are your top three takeaways that you would want someone to walk away from this podcast and be like, wow, I listened to this super powerhouse, Jennifer Sarver, and she is amazing and has had this crazy career. And here are the three things that she said I should know either to 
start talking to people about what's going on, start reading more or or understanding more about what's going on, or taking the plunge and running for office and the importance of it. You can pick. Yeah, no, those are great. I mean, so many great things to talk about. I think the first one, you know, what I would say is back to this idea of listening, becoming active listeners and asking better questions. And so when I conduct communications trainings, that's one of the things I talk a lot about is listening. And we can't be effective communicators if we don't fully understand our audiences. And so asking questions, not just waiting for the next chance for me to talk, but to actually listen to what you have to say. And I think that that just doesn't happen that often. I do an exercise where I have people listen to one another for 60 seconds. And I say, listen, listen without filtering anything, without thinking about questions, just listen to this person, tell their story. And it tends to be this really powerful exercise because so seldom do we have 60 seconds even where somebody's listening to us. So I say, you know, take time to be intentional with your dialogue, listen to people, uh, seek out conversations where people have different perspectives than you on an issue and ask them why, why, what is their life experience? What brought to them to this viewpoint? What sources of information do they have that you should investigate? And I think that act of listening to people is something that I would just encourage all of us to do better at, even with the people just in our daily lives. You know, we're always kind of doing 18 different things at once and not actively listening. And this is as much to myself as anyone else gets so busy and so many different things going on. I'm not being intentional with those conversations. So, so listening to people's perspectives um, and, and trying to engage in different, per- different ideas and understand different perspectives, I think is so valuable. I think volunteering and getting involved really just at that local level, there's so much good that can come from supporting other people in need in particular. I know with my my church and so many different faith communities, you know, serving people every as little as like working at the food pantry or volunteering at events, seeing people in need, seeing people who have um, you know, have so much less than I do is always a good perspective center, right? I think it's easy to get hear so many people saying, gosh, things are so bad right now and the country's falling apart and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? Tell me, tell me how how worse your life is than it was a year ago. And when they get down to it, there isn't any difference in their life materially. They're just watching things happening on the news that are causing this angst and anxiety. But I'm like, you go sit and, and, and work at a food bank and watch people coming in. I did this during the pandemic, worked at a food bank, watching people come drive through to pick up groceries. I was shocked at people. People don't go get groceries from strangers unless they really need it. And it was really interesting and humbling to see how many people were in need. And I get the privilege of traveling around the world and doing doing work around the world in that capacity. But there's so much need in our own communities. And I think there's something powerful about giving giving back. You know, George W. Bush, who I had the privilege of working for, always talked about this scripture where, where Jesus said, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think we have all been given so much. And it is so important for us to contribute in ways that make people's lives around us better. And so volunteering and getting involved. And I do think that in many times that can lead to political involvement. Because if you're sitting there seeing a problem and recognizing that there's a public policy that may be contributing to this problem, that might spark your political activism, which I think brings me to the third uh, the third takeaway, which would be to get involved. And, and whether that's you running 
for you supporting another candidate, which is frankly just as important. You know, you and I as previous candidates know that having that kitchen cabinet, that the supporters, those girlfriends that were there checking in on you, seeing how you're doing, supporting you in really practical ways. You know, I always tell the story of, of the weekend after my campaign, I had two girlfriends that took me to Vegas, right? For just a weekend to get away. I was like, that stuff is so important to have people in your life that support you. So consider running, but if, if that's not for you, and it certainly isn't for everyone, support other women who are running and get involved in organizations like the Pocketbook Project, like the LBJ Women's Campaign School, like the Women's Public Leadership Network that are trying to help women find their avenue to get to political leadership, whether it's a political appointment or running for office, running a campaign or supporting someone who's involved, there is a place for everyone to get involved. And I I absolutely believe that our societies would be so much better if we had more political involvement and engagement from a more diverse range of people. If only the extremists and activists are involved, we're going to get extreme politics. And that's where we're headed right now. And so when the average person who's sitting back saying, what's going on, doesn't take that step to get involved, that armchair, you know, athlete, um, then they're, they become part of the problem. And so my, my encouragement and admonition is to find ways to get involved through your own channels or supporting people who do. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you. Those are three phenomenal takeaways. And I think you can pick any one of those, right? Any, anyone listening, you can pick any one of those the listening part is really important, right? How many times do you, you're trying to have a conversation with someone when they're looking at their phone and they're like, mm-hmm, 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 right? Like you want to go back and test them on, on whether they were actually listening or not. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I do think some of this stuff, people get overwhelmed really easy. Life can be overwhelming. And especially if you're like a busy working mom, who's got all these things going on, it's hard to, to to get involved and adding one more thing to your plate seems exhausting. And that's right. Just take one thing, whether it's just listening more, whether it's picking one different news source, whether it's taking some time to do one volunteer activity, bring your family with you. You know, there's so many ways we can take one small step that I do think will have a bigger impact. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Jen. I appreciate you being on with me today. I'm Political Contessa. And for our listener, I, you know, thank you for listening. I hope that this was informative for you um, and that you enjoyed this. And Jennifer, again, runs Jennifer Sarver Strategies or Sarver Strategies. Where can uh, someone find you on Twitter or social media? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm on Twitter at UT Sarver. So that's for the University of Texas Sarver. And of course, my website is sarberstrategies.com and I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Jennifer, with one N different than your Jennifer. So my parents gave me a common name and then misspelled it. Um, <laughs> but I do I do love to see it properly spelled. So you will find me at Jennifer with one N. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that the first time we met and I saw the one N, I'm like, is that a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a point of conversation every single day of my life. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, at least it changes it up. Well, thank you very much for being here with me. I hope that you will come back again and maybe we could talk ooh, 2024 politics at some point. Coming up. It's coming up. <laughs> coming up fast. So thank you for being with me today on Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, your Political Contessa. And please stay happy, healthy, and safe. 
Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Thank you.